This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Good afternoon. I'm noticing that the more I'm doing these seminars, the more deeper my voice is becoming. So hopefully by the end of GYC, I will sound like a man. Okay, can you guys hear me okay? All right, have you guys been blessed today? Amen, amen. A lot of walking? <laughs> That's okay, we can digest better. All right, this is the last seminar of today. Feel free to do a little bit of stretching. Just buying a little bit of time for myself as well right now. So it's, you know, my friend Nathan always says this. He says, and he says it in a very funny way. He's like, it's better to stretch in church than sleep in church, right? So just feel stretch if you need to. I, okay, all right. Now, uh, this presentation is called Evolution, Philosophy, and Apologetics 101. How to reach out into the, in the classroom. And uh, this is going to be a very interesting message because we're going to be learning some hands-on, very practical ways that we can reach out in secular campuses, universities, platforms, arenas, where oftentimes it can be very difficult to minister to people. Right? Just giving you a heads up. This thing is not working right now, and it's working now. Okay. Uh, the future topics include tomorrow, Angelic Psychology 101, The Mind of an Angel, the mind of an angel. Um, and Saturday, we're going to learn about Lucifer and the Great Controversy, Mysteries Revealed about the Great Rebellion. I'm really excited about number two more than about number one because you're going to be blown away by some of the fascinating things about the rebellion. A lot of people have questions about the Great Rebellion that took place in heaven. You're going to learn in a very awesome way sort of the timeline, but some interesting facts that even many Adventists are unaware of about this Great Rebellion and how applicable it is to us. Um, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Do we pray already? Okay, we can pray again. It's a sign I'm tired when you don't even remember you prayed. Okay, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this class. And Lord, we just pray right now that Satan would have no place in this classroom, this place of learning. We pray against um, any just strongholds the devil has, Lord, and we just pray that your angels would be here. God, that you would send many angels to crowd into this room. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit, the greatest of all teachers and preachers, God, will guide us into very practical ways that we can be greater ministries for you, ministers for you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The classroom. It's more than just a room where Socratic teaching takes place. It's a place where the future is formed. Ideas, values, opinions, dreams develop in the lecture hall. Nations rise and fall in the classroom. Global ripples come from the classroom. And the battlefield of the great controversy is born in the classroom. Satan has claimed secular campuses as his strongholds for young, developing minds. Skepticism, atheism, and confusion permeates in these schools today. And yet, with supposed tolerant views, Christianity is being discarded and kicked out. God is calling for a counter-revolution of missionaries who, brave, who, will, who will brave these intellectual arenas and reclaim lost souls. One of the reasons why this is extremely important to me, personally, is because I actually became a Seventh-day Adventist when I was in college. I was going to a secular uh, uh, college at that time, and it was a good friend who reached out to me at the place I worked. 
It was during that time that I did a, a lot of thinking and changes in my life, ladies and gentlemen. So I have a burden. And many times from the very place that you are one from is the very place that God sends you back into to reach souls. So when you think about your own lives and you think about, wait, this is the place God reached me at, that may be the very place one day God is calling you back into to reach souls. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. Now, what I'm going to be sharing with you, ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, some really practical tools about how to reach out to people like this. I want to tell you right off the back, I don't have every single answer there is for evolution or philosophy or some of the issues that plague um, academics. If you are probably looking for something like that, you probably need to try a different seminar. That's it. Really plain. I'm going to be very uh, straightforward with you guys, ladies and gentlemen. Here you're going to learn practical ways to reach out. Things that I have seen personally work and are working, and I am doing at this very moment, and I have seen, seen such success with these things. The classroom, it's a secular arena, and here you see a lot of ideas formed. And Christendom today, mainstream Protestant Christianity, is also attempting an outreach into the classroom. In fact, you see a lot of uh, Christian apologetics really popping up, and what they're doing is they're targeting these secular campuses. Why? Because these secular campuses at one time actually used to stand for gospel messages. In fact, many of them still have biblical writings on the wall. Some of the most skeptic or some of the worst of these colleges um, actually have things like, like Oxford says, the Lord is my light. They have Christian sayings on them. Why? Because they were once founded by missionaries and pastors. It would surprise you, some of the colleges and campuses today. But Christian apologists, a lot of them, are really targeting these campuses because they believe that is where the future is formed. And if they fall in the college campuses, the future becomes darker and darker. In fact, what is so interesting, they're actually making a different movies that have to do with individuals who are attempting to reach out and do ministry in their classroom. Now, I'm going to share with you a trailer some of you guys have probably seen before, but also with that, the music in there is really raunchy, okay? So, you know, one part, the guy just, you know, goes really crazy and stuff. I just want to tell you right off the back, and this is a disclaimer, I do not promote that kind of music, okay? For those people who walk out and accuse me of things like that. Okay, here it is. So, are we ready?
Okay, pull the mic out. <laughs> okay, you can put the mic back on. A little bit after, you can pull it out. Okay, put it back on. Hold on. Now. Well, anyways, I'm trying to make this point that, um, that there is, even in Hollywood, there's this attempt to say, wait a minute, how can we reach people? And Hollywood has actually jumped into that. Um, thank you again for helping out. I appreciate that. Some of you guys were offended. Amen. Some of you guys were probably thinking to yourself, oh, man, I just came out of the media class to this. Don't worry. It was a trailer. You're okay, right? You're okay. It's not the end of the world. Okay. All right. Now, when it comes to reaching out to people, ladies and gentlemen, apologetics is extremely important, okay? Now, apologetics to some people simply means debating with people. That's actually not really true. Apologetics, this is very interesting, an apologetic about apologetics, a defense about apologetics is this. This is what it means to be a Christian apologist, familiarizing oneself with the most up-to-date material and communicating in a culturally relevant manner. Number two, being willing to engage in a variety of contexts, i.e. classrooms, public forums, churches, personal settings. Number three, presenting information that removes intellectual barriers to beliefs. And number, the very last thing, I should put it this way, the most important thing, ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate goal of apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, is to lead individuals to the truth as it is in what? Jesus. A lot of people have this idea that we need to be defensive Christians, ladies and gentlemen. We need to go on the defense. Rather, we need to be more on the offense. It is about, number one, reconciling people to Jesus. Number two is defending the message. Do we understand that? Yes or no? Because a lot of times people have this idea, if I'm reaching out to people who are more skeptical or secular or people who come from atheistic backgrounds, I want to make sure that I defend this rather than trying to reach out. And this is why a lot of mainstream Christianity in their apologetics is oftentimes offensive. Because the one thing that they are simply trying to state is, we're right and you're not. But see, that's not God's plan either. God desires you to make, number one, the goal of reaching souls, the goal of reaching people. The whole purpose of this class, ladies and gentlemen, is about reaching out to individuals, about reaching out to people and saying, wait a minute, how can this person come closer to Jesus? And as you make that the first priority, you will find everything else begins to fall into place. Now, when it comes to this, when it comes to this idea of reaching out into the classrooms, I'm going to show you something from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus actually, in part of his first uh, kind of ministry, reached out in a classroom. Okay, so everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Very interesting. The Bible talks about Jesus' experience reaching out in a classroom, in a classroom that had a lot of prejudice and biases that time. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 40. Okay, are we all there? And the child grew and became what? Strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of what? Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And it was after these days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the who? In the midst of the who? 
By the way, when you take a good look at the way Jewish schools actually ran, what it would be is that the rabbi would be sitting, in a, in, sitting down and the students would be circling him. But in this particular context, who has taken the position of the teacher? Jesus has taken the position of the teacher. In fact, the rabbi scholars are surrounding him. And he's sitting in the midst of them, both what? Now pay attention to this. Listening to them and what? Asking them questions. Jesus was aware of the prejudices that existed from these teachers, from these older, more experienced Jewish teachers and rabbis and scholars. He was very careful in how he reached out to them. In fact, what Ellen White says about this particular passage, she says, had these men accepted the truth, she says, Jesus, the lines of truth that he was opening up to them would have worked reform even in their day. It would cause great revival to take place if they listened to what he was actually saying at that time. And the Bible says, all who heard him were what? Astonished at his understanding and what? And answers. In fact, do you know what the Bible says right after this? The Bible describes how after his parents found him, they scolded him. And do you know what his mom said to him? What did his mom say to Jesus? Has anybody read this story before? What did his mom say to him? Huh? Why have you done this to us? And do you remember the reply of Jesus? I must be about my what? What was he doing at that very moment that he was categorizing as his father's business? Being in the midst of these people and listening and answering them with gospel truths. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus recognized that it was the Father's mission to reach out to these people in this classroom. And it is our business, it is the Father's business for us, ladies and gentlemen, to reach out to a variety of different individuals as well. Now, when it comes to the secular campus, there are a few things that we need to be aware of, ladies and gentlemen. How many people here actually go to college? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. I want you to just make sure you take note of these things because what I'm going to share with you are things that I have studied out and I have personally experienced in my own life and I have seen the success of these things, okay? When you are trying to reach out to people who may be atheists or who may be skeptical or who may be people who are just anti-Christian, ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to remember things, okay? That we are coming into a context that is far different than any church we've ever been to, okay? We are coming into a context where you actually have very, skeptic, uh, very skeptical teachers who are promoting ideas that are very contrary to what you may have grown up with. And they will preach it as gospel truth. I have seen so many students who will go through secular campuses and I see these teachers saying some of the most unusual things. And I see these students so confused as their minds are inundated with these things. So you are walking into this kind of context. And so the first thing you need to remember, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Number one, you must have a determination to be a Christian ministry, uh, ministry, uh, missionary. If you do not have this determination, ladies and gentlemen, you are going in with wrong motives. Number one, you need to go in there with the very purpose of saying, I want to be a Christian missionary to this school. In fact, look what Ellen White says, talking about secular campuses, not Adventist campuses, ladies and gentlemen. It would be perfectly what? safe for our youth to enter the colleges of our land, now watch this, if they were what? Converted every what? Day. If they were converted every day. 
She says right here, hey, you can go to the colleges of the land. You can go to Princeton. You can go to Harvard. You can go to Yale. You can even go to Berkeley if you want. If you are converted every day. This is an extremely important principle, ladies and gentlemen. If you miss this point, you are walking into a trap. You are walking into a trap because you will find that there are a whole lot of people who are much smarter than you. And the second you think that you are smarter than the devil, you've been outsmarted by the devil. You hear what I said? You've been outsmarted by the devil. So we need to understand this. Wait a minute. I need to make sure I'm coming in here with the right motives, with the right intentions, and that is as a missionary for the gospel. Amen? Number two, we need to gain the rapport of the teacher. You need to be a teacher's pet. Now, at first, you may think to yourself, what in the world? Trust me on this. You need to gain the rapport of the teacher. In fact, what you will find in Scripture right here, ladies and gentlemen, is various individuals. Who can identify these individuals right here? Go to the first one. You see Daniel and his three friends. Who's the next one? Yeah, David and Goliath. Who's the next one? Joseph and the one on the left. Esther and who's this guy? Moses. You know what the Bible says consistently? A phrase, a phrase, certain phrase is found in every one of their lives. You want to know what this phrase is right here? Take a good look at this. This is extremely important. Genesis 39 verse 4. So Joseph found what? Do you know who he was talking about? It was talking about Potiphar. Number two, Exodus 3, verse 21. I will give this people what? Favor in the sight of the who? Egyptians. 1 Samuel 27, verse 5. David, speaking about Ashish, who was a Philistine king. If I have now found favor in your eyes, and he found favor. Esther, now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his what? Favor. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into what? Favor and what? Goodwill of the chief of the who? In every one of these cases, every one of those pictures I showed you, ladies and gentlemen, God's people found favor with heathen leadership. They found favor with heathen leadership, and it was very important because it led to the furtherance of the gospel. Can you say amen to that? So we as Christians, we need to gain the favor of the teacher. And you know how that takes place? It starts by you, number one, praying for opportunities for you to be a blessing to your teacher. When you gain the favor of the teacher, I'm not talking about being a teacher's pet, ladies and gentlemen, or bringing her an apple, okay? I'm talking about you being a wonderful, loving, and lovable Christian to your teacher because the teacher is the one who controls the dynamics of the classroom. And if you win them, ladies and gentlemen, a great door will be open for the gospel. In fact, I'm going to share a little bit about this experience I had at a local college. I had an experiment. I said, okay, I'm taking another philosophy class, philosophy of science. And I said, okay, I need to put to work these principles. And I'm going to say, okay, I need to reach out to my teacher. So I began reaching out to my teacher. I tried to gain the rapport of my teacher. I started praying about it. Found out she had health problems. And she actually had cancer. And the cancer had stopped. And I said to myself, I know what I'll do. So one day, I went into my car, I had some books, I had a healthy cookbook, and I wrote a very special message to her. And I said to her, her name was Judy Kane, like Cain who killed Abel. <laughs> I said, Dr. Judy, I said, I got you a very special book, take a good look at it. And she says, I love cooking, healthy. I'm like, really? And she began to love that book. 
And what was so interesting is I tried to affirm her where I could. And sometimes when the students were really bashing her, I really tried to defend her. And I was intentionally trying to gain the respect of this teacher. You know why? Because I knew God was trying to reach her heart. In fact, one day she says, oh, I just, we were talking about the last day of school and we're just like, hey, we need to bring, we need to have potluck. They didn't say potluck, they said something else. Let's bring food together. <laughs> and I said, oh, you know, I said this, this is what I said. I said, I'll bring some Indian food. And everybody's like, yeah! And then she says, but I can't eat really spicy food. And I said, don't worry, I'm going to make sure I get you some stuff that is not spicy Indian food. And what happened is I got stuff for her, and she so appreciated it. In fact, I'll tell you more about this in a little bit. But I want you to take a good look at this, ladies and gentlemen. This, this, you see this consistently upon God's young people, is that they found favor in um, the eyes of these heathen leaders. These teachers, these rulers, these governors, and it allowed the gospel to go further and further. We need to be more courteous, more respectful, more kind, more polite. We need to be Christian gentlemen, loving people to these people. Amen? And you will find a door that will be open for that, okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. You know what the Bible says? It says this. Open your Bibles. I'll actually show you. You're saying to yourself, well, how in the world can I find favor with men and women? How can I find favor with them in a way that is productive? This is going to blow your mind away. The Lord showed me this one day. The Bible says this, Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 4. Are we all there? Say amen if you're there. Say mercy if you need some more time. I'll give you a little bit more time. Door probation is slowly closing. Are we all there? Are we almost there? Amen? Okay. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Look what the scripture says here. My son, do not forget my law, my, but let your heart keep my what? Commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Watch verse 3. It's so key. If you miss this, you'll miss all of this. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so what? Find favor where? And high esteem where, ladies and gentlemen? In the side of who? Do you see what the Proverbs, what Proverbs is saying right here? It's a super important principle that if mercy and truth is in your heart, ladies and gentlemen, a picture of who Christ is, you will find favor in the sight of these people. And you will find how this will open up the doors for the gospel to work. One of the reasons why that phrase was repeated over and over and over again, ladies and gentlemen, is because these young Christians, these young men and women of God, they had mercy and truth in their heart. They had a Christ-like character, and it opened the door for them to be able to share the gospel. Can you say amen to that? So now we understand a few things. So far, number one, we need to be a, uh, have a determination to be a Christian missionary. Number two, we need to gain the rapport of the teacher. And number three, we need to be careful of atheistic literature and stay in the word when... Now this is extremely important. Now do not fool yourself on this one, ladies and gentlemen. As I said before... If you are thinking that you are smarter than the devil, you have been outsmarted by the devil. And me, as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, I have read much atheistic literature. And let me just tell you this. There has been times that I question things because of how influential this stuff, the influence it has upon the human mind. And you need to be very careful about that, ladies and gentlemen. And so when it comes to this kind of literature that's always be there, always be mindful of the stuff you're reading. In fact, when I was taking the philosophy class, I was thinking to myself, I am not going to read this garbage. So you know what I did? I went on Wikipedia. 
I looked up all the information that I could. I aced everything. <laughs> I just avoided reading the literature because I thought to myself, I'm not going to put this junk in my mind. I only want the pure word of God in my mind. Now, I understand that you guys may be in circumstances where you obviously have to read the literature. However, there is the story of one person who had to study literature that was contrary to the Bible, and it was Daniel. Look what the Bible says right here. The Bible says he was skilled in all the literature of, of the Babylonians. In acquiring the wisdom of the Babylonians, Daniel and his companions were far more successful than their fellow students. But their learning did not come by chance. They obtained knowledge by their faithful use of their powers. Now watch this. Under the guidance of who? The Holy Spirit. This is an extremely important point right here. They placed themselves in connection with the source of all who, what? Wisdom, making the knowledge of God the foundation of their education. In faith, they prayed for wisdom. They lived their prayers. And then she says right here, they placed themselves where God could bless them. They avoided that which would weaken their powers and improved every opportunity to become intelligent in all lines of learning. They followed the rules of life that could not fail to give them strength of intellect. They sought to acquire the knowledge for one purpose, ladies and gentlemen. What was that one purpose? That they might honor God. They realized that in order to stand as representatives of true religion amid the false religions of heathenism, they must have clearness of what? Intellect and must perfect a Christian character. And God himself was their teacher. And the last part is the most important part. Constantly praying. Conscientiously studying. Do you know what that means? Conscientiously studying. Anybody know what that means? being intentional in what they were studying and the way they were studying it out. It's like before they were studying out this stuff, they were praying. God, please guard my mind. Please help me to keep you in the forefront of my mind as I'm studying this stuff out. I have to be very careful. Ladies and gentlemen, part of the deception of philosophy is this, and that is this, that the whole purpose of philosophy is simply to question reality. Questioning is good, but the problem is they don't finish up the last part. They don't show you how you can lead, be led to the truth. In fact, Ellen White says in great controversy, we should not be using the methods of philosophy to understand the Bible either. That's extremely important. Those are human methods. But we need to be praying, conscientiously studying, keeping in touch with the unseen. They walk with God as did Enoch. And if you follow these principles, ladies and gentlemen, you will find that God will give you a greater capacity for this knowledge and that you will be able to share in a way that glorifies God. Can you say amen to that? All right. Isaiah 50 verse 4, the Bible says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the who? Learn. The word learn means educated. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. Does it say Folgers awakens me morning by morning? No, the Bible says what? He awakens me morning by morning. For what purpose? He awakens my ear to hear as the who? Learned. When you spend time with Jesus every single morning in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, whatever study that you come across, you will do better in it. Why? Because you have been blessed with the mind of God. The finite mind has come into contact with the infinite mind of God and it has utterly changed your mind and the capacity to learn and to grow. And when you have that kind of experience, any study that you come across, you will master it. You will master it. But keeping the Bible as the forefront of your study is extremely important. God will educate you. The Bible says in Psalms 119 verse 99, you want to be smarter than your teachers? This is how. I have more understanding than all my teachers. This is what David said. For your testimonies are my what? 
meditation. I, have, I understand more than the ancients because I keep your what? Precepts. David is saying, look, I'm actually smarter than my teachers. It's like kind of a boast, but he's telling the truth, right? He says, I'm actually smarter than these people. Why? Because I'm constantly meditating upon God's word. God's word became extremely important to me. And he says, as I begin to place that in my mind, he says, I was gaining an advantage even over my teachers in the understanding of things. Number one, we have a determination to be a Christian missionary. Number two, gain the rapport of the teacher. Number three, we need to be careful of atheistic literature. And number four, ladies and gentlemen, we need to learn to be good questioners. Now, this is where many people fail, right here. Oftentimes, we're in very, um, very, we can put it, antagonistic environments. And sometimes the door isn't open for us to be able to, to share the truth. It is then that we need to learn to be good questioners. And the way you become a good questioner, ladies and gentlemen, you have to first know what the truth of the Bible is. And when you know what the truth of the Bible is, you begin to learn, wait a minute, I can learn to question other things that are not in harmony with these things. In fact, one of my good friends, she actually studied the Bible so well that when she was taking English literature, she had such a penetrative discernment and depth in her writing, her teacher was so blown away with it, and she said to her, how did you get this? And she said, I attribute it to my study of God's Word, the Bible. It gave me a depth, a discernment that was really powerful and important. But learning to be a good questioner is extremely important, ladies and gentlemen. Because oftentimes, we know how to give the good answers in Sabbath school, right? We learn from an early age. What's the answer? Jesus is the answer. Right? Or one of my favorites is, you'll ask them a question, they'll raise their hand. What's the answer? And they'll say, I don't know. But they love raising their hands. Here, this is extremely important. Jesus knew when he was in that very uh, antagonistic environment around these Pharisees and Sadducees, these scholars and scribes, he had to learn the art of questioning. He had to learn how to ask questions and question things so that as people thought about these things, they could be led to certain lines of truth that would lead them closer and closer to God. In fact, what's very interesting, we talked about in our first presentation, Richard Dawkins. He has debated many, many, many Christians, right? In fact, he's defeated many of them too. Many of the crowd that has come to see his debates actually sided with him. Well, he took on a particular Christian. And in this debate, he questions Christians. Richard Dawkins said, he's like, look at these people. They don't even go to church. He says, they don't even know the names of their own books. Okay? Now, I'm going to share with you an audio recording. Where's the audio guy? Who helped last time? Thank you, bro. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. You ready? That's Dawkins. Uh, with 
Okay, very good. I'm actually going to need you just a bit, though, if you want to just stay up there. Thank you very much. Now, what's very interesting is this. As I said before, when you're dealing with the classroom, questioning is very important, asking questions. Rather than just making statements, like I said, many people say, well, I'm just going to make this statement right now. I'm just need to defend the gospel. And they don't know how to simply question things, okay? As I said before, I'm going to share with you an experience I had towards the end of the seminar. But there are other individuals who, when they were coming across, there was one individual, some of you guys know him. Um, his name is Rain Comfort. He's not always the best when it comes to evangelism. However, one day he decided to visit a college. And at this college campus, there were many evolutionists, including P.Z. Myers, who happened to be one of the foremost, um, we'll say, vociferous atheists that's in the world today. And through basic questions, I want you to see how effective he was in getting people to go from one perspective to another perspective. Just give me one. Um, it's twins. 
Charles Baudelaire is a very charming. Charles Baudelaire. You've got the canine kind, the coyote, and the domestic dog, and there's a feline kind, which is a cat, the tiger, and the kitten, and you've got human kind. So Darwin said there'd be a change of kinds over many years. So could you give me one example of observable evidence of a change of kinds? For instance, the fossil record shows the common ancestors of all carnivores that cats and dogs were once linked, once united by a common ancestor. How long ago? Uh, this, I believe, was like 60 million years ago. I don't want something I have to accept by faith. I want it to be observable. Observable evidence. Well, I mean, if you're just asking me here on the street, there's not really much I can tell you in terms of observable evidence. Like, we would have to really examine existing data to draw conclusions of our own. Well, I mean, have to have faith, then you really have to have some amount of faith. And you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution
pretty large, I think.
like a remaining organ that is not used, like for instance our appendix, um, rabbits have huge appendix for digestion of rats. We still have a vestigial appendix. Well, the appendix has no use, which we can think of right now. Your cockroach uh, bone, that was, you know, many people regard that as the tail of the humans. The human tailbone is said to be vestigial. There it is. It's an evolutionary method of proving that we're related to primates. However, it's not a tailbone, it's the coccyx vertebrae. The tailbone derives its name because some people believe it's a leftover part from human evolution, though the notion that the tailbone serves no purpose is wrong. The coccyx is an extremely important source of attachment to tendons, ligaments, and muscles. Evolutionists also claim the appendix is vestigial, but it's not. The appendix is actually part of the human immune system. According to Scientific American, for years, the appendix was credited with very little physiological function. We now know, however, that the appendix serves an important role in the fetus and in young adults. Among adult humans, the appendix is now thought to be involved primarily in the immune function. I would consider myself an atheist. You seem to be famous atheist. Uh, I believe um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, I can't agree to the claims by atheists that I'm one of that community. Your name is you? Uh, famous atheist. Uh, I'm family not. Uh, start with Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton said, the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Can you think of any famous atheist? Yeah. No. A famous atheist. Yeah, a famous atheist. Now my dad. Cambridge <laughs> <laughs> website often includes examples of famous atheists in an attempt to win Congress. But more often than not, the famous personalities cited are not actually atheists. This is a popular atheist poster on which are Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln, Carl Sagan, Mark Twain, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, and Charles Darwin, along with the words, atheism, good enough for these idiots. Clearly, atheism is for intellectuals. For one moment, Abraham Lincoln wasn't an atheist. He said, I know that the law is always on the side of the right, but it's my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Neither was Carl Sagan. He clearly stated, I am an agnostic. Mark Twain hated religion, but he certainly wasn't an atheist, saying, None of us can be as great as God, but any of us can be as good. Benjamin Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. You'll find Thomas Edison listed on celebrity atheists, on positive atheism, and other atheist websites. But he wasn't an atheist. He said, There is a great directing head of people and things, a supreme being who looks after the destinies of the world. Thomas Jefferson said, Say nothing of my religion. It is known to myself and my God alone. Albert Einstein rejected the Bible as the word of God and said that the creator was unknowable and that God being personal was childlike. He lamented, in view of such harmony in the cosmos which I, with my limited human understanding, am able to recognize, there are yet people who say there is no God. Well, what really makes me angry is that they quote me to support such views. He categorically said, I am not an atheist. And when referring to those who deny the creator, he used the term fanatical atheists. Charles Darwin said, I have never been an atheist. So out of the 
12 gauge boss shotgun, put the end of the barrel into his mouth, pulled the trigger and blew out his brains. There's your poster boy when it comes to atheism. All right, you can turn the lights back on. Okay, very good. Was that a very interesting documentary? In fact, you can find the rest of it on YouTube. It's called Evolution versus God. And the reason why I wanted to show this to you is because uh, if you take a good look, just the simple way that he was asking questions, you found that many people, I want to focus not so much on his questioning, but that many people did not quite understand the positions that they were taking originally. And with just simple questions during class or during witnessing or outreach, you will find that people oftentimes will just understand, wait a minute, I don't really believe the things I had initially said before. And that's why just learning how to give good questions is extremely important. So number one, we learned determination to be a Christian missionary. Number two, gain the report of the teacher. Number three, be careful of atheistic literature. Number four, learn to be a questioner. And number five, praying for the Holy Spirit, divine opportunities. You will find God will open up so many opportunities, ladies and gentlemen, when you are praying for that. In fact, one day, we were having this great seminar on uh, why hellfire isn't forever. And we were showing this movie called Hell and Mr. Fudge at this local place. And so when I was going to that class, I get there and class was canceled. Teacher wasn't there. And so you know what I did? I sat there and was like, okay. And I began talking to people and somehow they started talking about hellfire. And I raised my hand. I was just talking to them and I said, you know what? I don't believe in hellfire either. And they're like, what? And it just opened up so much conversation. It was such a divine appointment when I shared with them the love of Jesus that was manifested at the cross of Calvary. There's powerful opportunities, ladies and gentlemen, when you are praying for divine opportunities during your classroom experience. And the last one is to make sure you have a young adult Bible study group. I have a young adult Bible study group, and I have sending many people who have come through this group and have gone on to do some awesome and wonderful things. Something that's super important, ladies and gentlemen, to young adults is this, the understanding of God's Word, Bible study, and number two, community. God's Word and community. And when you set that up, ladies and gentlemen, you will find a wonderful environment for young adults to come to. I've had a young adult Bible study at my house, and I live like in a little shack, okay? And I said, I'm going to be very consistent about this, and we have dinner every Friday night, very informal. And what happens, we've gotten so many young adults that go there. Right now, I mean, we have 30 to 40 people who are showing up there every Friday night, okay? And we are studying out the gospel. What's so interesting, we've actually had some recently some homosexuals who've been showing up at, that at this Bible study course, and they are absolutely loving it. And they said, we are not finding in other Christian groups we, we are finding in this group. We love the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, God can reach people when we set up this wonderful dynamic. And if you have a mind to reach souls, ladies and gentlemen, in the classroom, God will use it. I want to share with you an experience that I had um, just not too long ago. Some of you guys might have heard this on audio verse, but I want to share it with you anyways. What happens is I take philosophy courses at the local college, and I do that because I'm just trying to work towards a degree. I'm always careful about this kind of stuff. However, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to be talking about this in a way to do outreach. I said, Lord, I'm going to, take an, I'm going to do this experiment. I want you to use me to reach out to this class. So I enrolled in Philosophy of Science 101. Teacher steps in, she said, my name is Judith Cain, as I said before earlier, Cain who slew Abel. She gets up there, and she's talking the first day of class, and I'm sitting in class, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a pastor. I'm going to be an undercover pastor. <laughs> no joke. As soon as I said that in my mind, she says this, all right, class, 
Everybody tell us your name and what you do for a living. <laughs> they're all going through those names, you know, they're going through those names, so and so, so, and it comes to me, okay? I'm already unusual, you know, an Indian person. Anyway, so it's like there, and I was like, yeah, my name's Anil, and I am a pastor. As soon as I said that, every eye turned towards me, okay? And I was just like, and the teacher said, that's interesting. She said, what church do you pastor? And I said, oh, the Series Seventh-day Adventist church down, oh, down the street. Oh, that's interesting. And she moved on. I'm like, oh, wow, good. That was really good. And so I continued to pray every day of that class. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I had some of the most vociferous atheists in that class, okay? They were just angry people, okay? And I had somebody on the right, way off in the corner, someone on the left. I mean, they were biology students. They were philosophy students. Many of them were atheists. The teacher was an atheist. But I was praying. I said, Jesus, you've got to help me to reach these people. Some of the stuff I heard about determinism and social biology really broke my heart as I saw young people just get so confused about life and existence and God as they're hearing some of these lies. And so I was just praying, God, you've got to help me to reach out to people. You've got to help me to reach out. The teacher says this in the first day of class. We're going to dedicate the last portion of our class in attacking creationism and why it is not science. And so I was like, God, I need your help now, you know. <laughs> but the problem is this. I actually had to start an evangelistic series in Mountain View, California, which was an hour and a half away. I was living in Mountain I had to be in Mountain View. I had to stay there for three weeks. Classes were Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I was praying. I was like, God, I, I'm going to miss this, and I need to be there. And so I was really praying, and so I would actually run, race back after I preach, go to class the next day, race back to the preacher series. And let me tell you, it was only by the grace of God. I mean, I think I gained all these gray hairs during that time. But when she was going after creationism, it was crazy. And as I said before, I had some angry atheists in that class, but I said, you know what? I'm going to be a Christian no matter how people treat me. And I'm my number one goal is to win souls to Jesus more than just make a statement. And so what's interesting, as I was praying for opportunities, I was like, God, you've got to open up opportunities. And I was doing the questioning thing, okay? I never forgot, she was going over the fossil record, okay? She was going over the fossil record, and she says, this is why creation doesn't work, because we see all these fossils in the record, and creationism can't account for these things. And she says she talks about the fossil record and just sort of the lineages of all these animals. And at that moment, one of the ladies, one of the angry atheists in the class, she raises her hand and she says, yeah, and these Christians, and what's interesting, she looked towards me. She says, and these Christians, they try to say the thing about kinds all the time, that, that the Bible says there were kinds that were put on the ark. You couldn't fit those kinds on the ark at all, and all these things. And she, the teacher was like, yep. And I was like, okay, it's time to ask a question. So I raised my hand. I said, but you know what's so interesting? When you do look at the fossil record, I said, where are the intermediate species? Where are the transitional fossils? Even St Stephen Jay Gould said that there were no transitional forms in the fossil record. As soon as I said that, no joke, this angry atheist turned to me and she said, she yelled at in class, she yelled at me. This. She said, this isn't Pokemon. Okay, I'll tell you, if the Lord didn't give me mercy at that time, 
I would have said something. I was ready to fire something right back to her. But God reminded me, Anel, a loving and lovable Christian. And so I just smiled, and I just continued to look forward. Then as soon as she was done, this guy raises his hand. He was a law school student. He was an atheist. And he raises his hand, and he says, yeah. And these creationists, he looks right back at me, okay? Seriously, it was like, I was like, man, I'm a martyr everywhere I go. <laughs> he looks back at me, okay? And, then, and the whole time, he's just talking to me, okay? And he's like talking to the teacher, and he's like, yeah. And these creationists, what they do is they take a rock, and they said, yeah, this world is 6,000 years old. He says, but you take that rock and you measure, or you check its age. It's millions of years old. It's not 6,000. I mean, he was yelling at me. And I was like, I got to be a Christian gentleman. I was like, Lord, please help me. And I just smiled. And I just stared. And the teacher, it was so interesting. She actually saw he was disrespecting me. And she said, you stop right now. She actually cut him off. And she says, I don't want to hear your rant. I wrote in my journal that day, because she wanted journals. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote in my, my uh, science journal, I was like, yeah, today was an intense class. There were a lot of angry people today. I wrote that, OK? And it was so interesting. We had to turn our journals, and she wrote a special note on that. And she said, you're right. She says, I want you to know I really appreciate your participation in this class. It matters that you are here. See what I said? Like, this is a woman who doesn't profess to believe in Christ, but I already know. If I'm attempting to witness her, God's already there. He is already working on her heart. So I was really praying. I was like, God, these people are just attacking creation. I'm so busy with this evangelistic series. I don't have time to come here over it. And I was just like really praying, okay? Last day of class, I seriously had to race. And we were, we were just doing all these things. And I was like, okay, I got to get to class. Okay. And so she's like, we're going to end, end with this. We're going to go after creationism one more time. The angry atheists, two of them, happened not to be there that day of class, okay? Generally, they cut me off. They were not there that day of class. So while we're there, she's like, we're going over the National Science, we're going over the National Academy of Science. She goes, we're going to go over the criteria of what constitutes real science. And she was going over these criteria, and I was really praying. I was like, Lord, last 15 minutes of class. I said, God, is there anything you want me to say at this moment? I need your help. Please help me, Jesus. And all of a sudden, it was just like this impression. Raise your hand and ask a question. So I raised my hand. And this is how the last 15 minutes of this class ended. I raised my hand, and I said, you said number four of the criteria of the National Science of Academy is that science, it says, must be observable, the evidence must be observable and testable. I said, how do you test great morphological changes over a great period of time? I'm like, I don't talk like this normally. <laughs> great morphological changes over a period of time. I said, how do you test that? And she says, well, what you do is you look back in the fossil record and see if the changes are, are there. We obviously can't test it. And then I raised my hand again, and I said, but isn't the fossil record discontinuous and not continuous? And she said, she stopped, she paused, and she said, you're right about that. And then I said, I raised my hand again, and it was so strange. And everybody just stopped, stopped and started saying, I said, don't you think over the, last, the course of the last 100 years that there's been a lot of hoaxes to make this theory actually work? And she said, you're right about that. There's been so many hoaxes. And I said, I said, finally, I said to her, I said, how many alterations does a theory need before it's finally dismissed? 
And she looked and she said, well, you're right about that, she says. She says, this is why we're in class today, is to understand these things. And she ended the class just like that, okay? And I really felt like God, I, I felt like God just sort of made this end time, this end last minute statement. And it was just like, the air was really heavy. Like something you felt was just, it was very thick, okay? Like the spirit of God was present and was interesting right after that moment. No joke. She says, we're ending the class like this. This guy's like, hey man, I want to talk to you. <laughs> just like that, he yells at me, okay? And I was like, all right, man, let's go. I wouldn't say it like that, but I say, okay, let's go talk outside. <laughs> we go outside, he's like, look, man, I want you to know something. I don't believe anything you just said. I said, okay. I said, what do you believe in? And he said, well, I used to be Catholic. I think the... <laughs> it's like Moses receiving the Ten Commandments up there or something. <laughs> okay. Anyways, he said this. He said, um... I used to be Catholic, and he says, but not anymore. He says, I used to believe in these things. He says, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. He says, I mean, I just believe in science, and I believe, you know, in what, what, we're, what we're talking about here. And I said, have you ever studied the Bible? And he said, no. I said, you ever studied the book of Daniel and Revelation? He said, no. I said, let me give you a challenge. I said, let me study with you the book of Daniel and Revelation, and if you come to the end of that study and you say, I still don't believe, at least you could say, I checked it out. And he said, okay. I said, we'll even get some Indian food. He said, all right. I contacted him. We have our appointment when I come back from GYC. But it wasn't done. As soon as I got back into that classroom, this guy right next to me, he gives me a high five. He goes like this, hey, bro. He's this little Filipino guy. I was like, hey, like that. I sat down, and I didn't know why, and he was just, I knew that he, noticed he was just nodding his head the whole time I was asking this question. I found out, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but he was like, he's dating an Adventist. Right, sitting next to me the whole time, okay? And what was so interesting, as soon as that was done, this guy who was sitting right here, he turns to me, and he's like, what'd you do your final on? And I was like, well, I did my final on intelligent design. I even made an appeal for the teacher at the end. So, like, like, it was like a really big paper, and I wrote it, and I was appealing to the teacher to believe in God, and that there, it takes more faith not to believe in God. Anyway, so he was like, yeah, I wrote mine on quantum physics. I was like, hey, do you want to check out my paper? He's like, yeah, I'll take a good look at it. I said, I'll check out your paper. I got his information, and occasionally he comes to our Friday night Bible studies now. And what was so amazing, ladies and gentlemen, was that it was just during that last period of class that it was like, all those times that I had been praying, God, make me a witness. Make me a witness. And the struggles that I went through, it paid off. And I began to recognize something that if my heart is bound up into the hands of God every single day, and I go at this in a very consecrated way with the one purpose of reaching souls, regardless of how smart I am or how not so smart I am, ladies and gentlemen, God can use me. And if he can use someone like me, he can use someone like you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to end with a word of prayer and then we'll do some questions, okay? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, we just acknowledge that we are insufficient for the task of carrying the gospel to the whole world. Lord, I just want to pray for these people. Many of them are in college and I just want to pray, God, you would equip them with purpose to go forth as missionaries, consecrated, and Lord, you would keep them safe. Bless them with success, God. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.